Is it on? Okay, hello? Alright. So I think I got the mic working. I have snuck into the studio, which is in Dan's basement. It is late at night, and it is just me, Adam, by myself. And I've been doing a lot of research. I've been up all night looking into fiends. Devils, demons, yugoloths, and just those generic fiends out there that nobody really talks about, but seems to be allying with any sort of evil force that they can find. I've been digging into this, doing research on the Nine Hells and the Abyss and all of the other lower planes in between. I've been traveling down the River Styx by myself and digging deep into the lore of what Fifth Ed has to offer. Dungeons and Dragons has a rich and complicated history when it comes to fiends, devils, demons, including the satanic panic that happened, oh, what, 30 years ago now? Maybe longer? So, it's gone through a number of different uh, formats. They've had different names over time. And it's a little confusing what the hierarchy is, who goes where, devils and demons being separate things. is fairly unique to Dungeons & Dragons. So, I want to kind of pull the, the shroud off of this, I guess and look at exactly what we're dealing with on a monster-by-monster -monster basis. We have an episode coming up here in a few days that focuses on the Blood War and Fiends. It's one of our lore episodes. But there are a lot of specific monsters that work in very specific ways. And it's not just like a blue dragon is a blue dragon is a blue dragon. A devil is not like any other devil. There are many unique ones, and there's a hierarchy, and that's what I want to get into today. What is the hierarchy? What are the broad strokes, and how do they function? And how can you use them in a game? Without getting into too many specifics, because we're going to talk about fiends probably more than once, but I just wanted to give everybody enough information so that we're all on the same page. So, I'm going to try to keep it quiet. I'm going to try to get through this as quickly as possible. And tomorrow we're going to release an episode about demons. I believe there's going to be four of these episodes leading up to the fiendish lore episode. So bear with me. Strap in because shit is about to get dark. Now how do I run the freaking music? That's, uh, that's not so difficult. I can add the music. That's perfectly fine. I don't know what everyone is so worried about with this. Okay, anyway, on to devils. Oh, I thought I heard someone. No, okay, on to devils. So, the very first thing that I want to talk about is the fact that there's a hierarchy to devils. When it comes to the devils themselves, and we're talking only the creatures in the nine hells, this is where they're coming from. This is the lawful evil swing of things. Demons are chaotic evil. Devils are lawful evil. They've got a hierarchy. There's structure here. This is not incredible chaos. What we're dealing with when it comes to devils is a specific promotional, or promotional, but a, a promotion hierarchy. So things um, that you should know is that any evil soul that comes into the nine hells in the afterlife can actually raise in rank turning from one kind of devil into another and this is a major factor in how they end up conducting their own business and how they have uh, interactions with each other the other thing that i want to talk about really quickly is that most devils can summon other devils that's one of the variant rules it, uh, and it's right in the monster manual um, under the devil section. Everything that you're going to be able to hear in this podcast, uh, in this episode, is going to be based out of the monster manual and Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. There's really nothing else anywhere about devils except when it comes to the warlock and the imp familiar, and I will not be covering that tonight. That's a conversation for a different 
episode. Also, if you're here looking for information about the Hellfire engine, I'm sorry, I consider that a construct. I know it's fiendish, but it doesn't run the same way that fiends do. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily apply to the same rules that the other fiends do. I know it's considered a part of the devils in Mordenkainer's Tome of Foes, but for this conversation, we're going to set it aside because we already have 21 other devils to go through. So let's take a second and we'll start at the very bottom and we'll work our way up on power level. We'll talk about the CR ratings and we'll work away from from CR0 up to CR20. We're going to cover all the lesser and greater demons, but we're not going to go into any of the uh, archdevils or any of the um, specifically named through the lore um, uh, specific devils that uh, may have appeared in any of the novels or anything. These are just your stock monster manual and Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes creatures. So, let's get to it, shall we? The very first on the list, the first thing that we should cover is a lemur. It's not a lemur. A lemur is a kind of animal. A lemur, however, is a CR0. It's one of the few CR0 creatures in the monster manual that you can find. And a lot of them that you do see are beasts or animals. This one is a little bit different, although we can understand why it's a CR0 because it doesn't really have an identity or a memory of its own. These are mortal souls that have been damned for eternity. They're tortured and tormented by other devils, and they're blobs of flesh with, with their human features forever twisted in agony. Other devils will will take pleasure in tormenting and and torturing and uh, killing even these, these Lemures because they, they come back. They respawn consistently. They will regenerate within ten, within 10 days and then... They can be killed and they'll respawn again. So what happens is a soul that goes to the nine hells, uh, when a person dies, they have to cross the river Styx. And the river Styx, which we'll talk about in the other, in the future Fiend episode when we talk about the Blood War, the river Styx is a river that washes away all memory and individuality if you touch it. So these souls go through the river Styx and they come out as these amorphous blobs of just melted flesh with the very basic uh, impression of humanity or or mortality still a part of them. Their faces, their even their arms and hands are always like grasping for um, for salvation. These are the most pitiful, mindless, pain-filled creatures in all of existence, uh, and only the most ambitious of them, the most evil ambitious souls can begin to climb the diabolic hierarchy that we're about to talk about. So when you come into the nine hells as a member of the afterlife, you don't actually come in as a lieutenant or anything else. You have to be a, lemur, a lemur first. See, I almost said it again, a lemur. And the thing about the lemurs are that they are completely mindless and there is no individuality left in them. You cannot go find the evil sorcerer who's been damned to the nine hells and has gone through the river Styx. You can't find out information from them in the afterlife. This is not a ghost. This is not undead. These are twisted devils. And they seem to be there mostly to be a backdrop. They're, they don't really have anything going for them as far as any sort of special attacks or any sort of role-playing opportunities, they're just really setting because there's nothing left to them. They are humanity or the or humanoid, I guess, um, remnants of, of the very basic nature of pain and misery. And that's, that's only the first one we're dealing with. As much as we are not dealing with the Christian ideals or Dante's Inferno or whatnot when we're dealing with devils. The, the word devil, we're really just stealing from basic uh, Christian lore. We do see a lot of uh, symbolism uh, between what 
what we would expect from from Christian lore and Paradise Lost and uh, and Dante's Divine Trilogy. We get a lot of the, that imagery, and it gets translated over. But this is working on its own entire mythology. Not that I'm not getting into a religious debate here, but this mythology is very different from the traditional ways that uh, that people are used to hearing about devils. So. Um, the next one on the list is the first one out of Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. This is a CR half. Um, the Lemures are still medium creatures, and so is this one. This is the, uh, uh, I'm going to try to pronounce these. They're all kind of crazy names. Um, Nuparibo. The Nuparibo are the slothful and careless evil souls that have um, passed into the Nine Hells. They're not the ambitious. The ambitious can move up the rest of the hierarchy, but the Nuparibo are always starving. They're, they're the gluttonous, they're, they're the greedy, but they're the lazy as well, right? These are the best that a Lemure can actually turn into. They're always starving. They'll eat anything. These are giant, amorphous rolls of fat with arms and legs that stick out that help them move very slowly. They only move 20 feet around. They've got a little head sticking out at the top, and they're still medium, but these things will fill up hallways. They're so fat. Um, they And they eat whatever they can get their hands on, including rotten meat and vermin. They never stop hunting their prey if they think that they can eat it. So if they see that that there is a halfling, and they say, you know what, I can fit that in my mouth, they become single-minded and focused on this halfling, and they will come after it like a freaking Terminator. These things are hulking, fat humanoids in rolls of naked, stinking, sore-covered fat. It can't form complex thoughts on its own, right? So it blindly follows any fiendish commands that it's given because it is so consumed by the hunger that only more powerful devils can get through this hunger and, and give them any sort of direction. Otherwise, they just move around in these slow-rolling packs these swarms of nearly blind flesh just just bubbling over itself and they're surrounded by swarms of biting vermin and if these vermin bite someone and that person gets away so if they get injured and then get away the nuparibo can track that person flawlessly for up to 24 hours so I want you to think about you run into a horde of 25 of these things. Even at CR half, that's formidable. The action economy is working against you. And you get close enough to attack one or two. And this is almost like a scene out of a slow-moving horror, like a zombie movie, um, where they're coming at you and they are consistently um, trying to get to you and they get close enough that you get hit by these vermin and you manage to turn around and run. They're still coming. They will never stop coming. And they move at probably two-thirds as quickly as you do. So how far do you have to go to get away from them? You're going to have to run for the next 24 hours. This is where exhaustion through the nine hells is going to just wear you down. And that's CR half. We got a long way to go. The next on the list, and probably the most popular, though definitely the one that I've seen in more campaigns than any other is the imp. They're the only tiny devil on the list. Everything else is small, medium, large. I think there may even be a couple of huge uh, further down, but this is the only one that's tiny. They're winged. They look like, if you think of a little red devil, a little red imp, you're thinking of the right thing. They're red. They've got wings and a tail and little horns, and they're, they're devilish looking. They are used as spies and couriers and messengers, and they're super deceitful. You cannot rely on an imp at all to do anything. Not even their masters can rely on them. They'll be told to go do something and accomplish something, and they'll say, yep, absolutely, and then off they'll go. And you're rolling dice to see whether or not they're ever going to actually do it. A lot of the other devils have nothing but contempt for imps because they are so unreliable. Now, if these guys have wings, they can fly, they can also turn invisible, and they can also change shape. So they're shape changers. So they're almost borderline fey in their um, 
their near chaotic uh, point of view on things, the fact that they are going to kind of give up whatever their orders are and work on something else. They are not really the best option for um, the arch devils to be using for anything. I would see uh, something like a bearded devil or a barbed devil um, having to rely on the nearest imp to go pass a message and hope it gets through. Um, I'm assuming that imps are consistently threatened by violence, um, and if they're killed, they end up getting knocked back to the uh, Lemure level. So they have they have quite a bit of um, of chaos, and they're about the most chaotic thing that we have on this list. Uh, and they tend not to they tend not to be someone that you want to work with especially as a mortal, but they are definitely going to come in and start making pacts and working with you. And that's a big part of devils is their pacts and their deals. So, um, this is the first level after, um, Lemure for those ambitious evil souls that we were talking about. The next level CR two, uh, is a small creature, a spined devil. These are other messengers and spies, and they get way more respect than the imps do. Their bodies and their tails are just covered in spines, um, and they they fly. But their spines, they are, can actually hurl as a ranged attack. They explode like tiny grenades. Um, they don't do splash damage. They don't hit multiple creatures. But when they do hit you, they explode and do fire damage as well. They're craven and cowardly, and if they're losing, they will retreat. They have no problem doing that. They travel in large groups and they make up the majority of the flying legions of the Nine Hells. So you would expect to see a lot of Spine Devils. And CR2, you think, okay, that's that's not a big deal. These guys have a couple of neat little flavorful effects to them. But the crazy thing about them is that they come in groups. This could still be a force to be reckoned with at CR12 if you're dropping 7, 8, 9, 10, and it fits in the lore. They're also known um, as the Spinagon. That is their their secondary name. A lot of them have names. A lot of devils have names because they couldn't use the word devil during the Satanic Panic back in the 80s. So um, while we call them Spined Devils today, they were originally called Spined Devils. Um, their, their other alternative name is the Spinagon. Another one out of the Monster Manual... Um, so all of them except the Naparivo have been monster manual so far. Here's another uh, medium-sized creature. This is the Bearded Devil. The Bearded Devil, also known as the Barbazoo, that's, that's their alternative name. Uh, they're shock troops, and they revel in glory. They've got long tendrils that make up their beards, and, and these tendrils can lash out and they do poison damage. But it, their, their big perspective on life is honor and, and glory. Think of Klingons, right? That's what we're talking about here. Their beard attacks uh, also result in the target not being able to regain hit points, which in and of itself is kind of terrifying. Um, it doesn't really give an option or an idea of, of when this is gonna um, uh, when this is gonna end. So I would assume like you're gonna need a lesser restoration uh, restoration. I would even say that maybe a remove curse if your DM is feeling generous to get rid of this. Um, but on top of all that, they have a glaive attack, which continues to do damage every round until you get a successful medicine check done on them. So you can't be healed and you're bleeding out. These are nasty for a CR3 because if you can get four or five of these things stacking this kind of damage with their multi-attack, you're in trouble. The next one, we're going to move back on to uh, Mordenkind's Tome of Foes. These are fallen evil soldiers, guards, and mercenaries, and these are the Maragon. The Maragon are faceless guards, but they wear a uniform and a mask, and the mask is uh, unique in the fact that it's it's kind of a neutral mask. Um, I don't know how many of you have a theater background. It's D&D, so probably half of you do. But like a, a neutral mask over their face, a mask of neutrality to kind of hide the fact that they have no face. They are completely uh, void of identity. They are merely just evil 
soldiers and evil guards and evil mercenaries that have fallen in battle or have been killed and they now are fulfilling the roles of bodyguards and guards here. They will never retreat. They are unwaveringly loyal to their masters and to their commanders and they actually the only marking, the only identifying factor on any of them is on their mask somewhere there will be an indication of who their commander is. The other interesting thing about them that I really like is that if they're within 60 feet of a more powerful devil, so anything else on the list after this, they get additional attacks per round, which is a unique factor in D&D, where they get two attacks normally with their multi-attack, but if you put them beside a chain devil, for example, they'll get three. So suddenly they become more powerful and you can really start to understand the idea of how these armies are working, right? With the spined devils that are the flying infantry and the bearded devils that are shock troops and the maragon that are, um, that are bodyguards. And, and the other thing about them is they are bodyguards. They use reactions. They can use a reaction to take a hit instead of an adjacent fiend. So if they're standing beside, say, a bone devil and you've got someone that is going to attack the Bone Devil, they're going to take the hit instead. They will jump in the way. Um, I, You can almost hear them screaming, Get down, Mr. President! As, as they dive in front of the, in front of the attack. Um, which is kind of crazy to think about these almost Secret Service level um, guards. Mordenkind's Tome of Foes really added a lot of interesting things to the devil lore and of uh, the devil mechanics as well. So uh, after the Maragon, which was CR4, we move on to CR5, which is the barbed devil. So we're back to the monster manual. Here's another medium creature. Its uh, secondary name is the Hamachula. And these things are driven by greed and desire. They're guards, not necessarily bodyguards, but they're guards that will um, be kind of the sentries at fortresses or uh, at certain passageways. You can picture them at uh, strongholds all over the place. These would be more of the defensive side of the of the army, but they are run by greed and desire. They love to fight, especially if there's a reward for the victory, but they absolutely love to gain um, more power and they want to gain more magic items, and they are just completely and totally driven by avarice. The other crazy thing about them is that they're consistently alert. They do not fall for distractions. They stay 100% focused on the task at hand. And as you can guess from the name, they are covered in barbs. And these barbs actually damage enemies while they're grappling, and the other fun thing about them is, just because they seem to be devils, for no other reason, they can just throw fire. It's like a, a mini fireball that they can throw. So you can imagine having two, three, four of these guarding a gate. Um, and they've got this ranged attack with fire. And they also have a, um, uh, a close grapple to stop people from getting through while they, you know, call alarms for other devils, more powerful people, or, or the legions to come back them up. Um, so that was CR5. Next on the list, we're going to jump up to CR8. This is the Chain Devil, or the Chiton. This is also in the Monster Manual, and one of my favorite and more flavor, flavor, flavorful versions. Um, trying to stay quiet and talk, it, this is not... This is not what I'm good at. I am loud when I talk, as, as you all know. So, anyway, the Chain Devil is draped in a shroud of animated attacking chains. These guys are the sadistic jailers and torturers. They're all about imprisonment, and they're all about inflicting pain on the prisoners under their guard. Their chains can grapple people, and they, they can lash out and hit people, but... You know, they've, they've got a, a couple other crazy things to them as well, a couple other crazy mechanics. One of them is the fact that they can animate nearby chains, and those chains, they have stats. So what you can do is put a chain devil down at CR8, but you could drop it in front of a low-level party, 
and those chains um, are going to be able to whip out from the walls of of um, the torture chamber or the dungeon that you are actually in um, and act as manacles and pull people back and grapple them and uh, allow the chain devil to kind of stomp around and monologue a little bit. The other thing that I absolutely love, and we talk about them being sadistic, and, you know, you focus on pain, but this is a great role-playing aspect. As a reaction, um, they can frighten their enemies by becoming the image of a loved one. That's horrifying. The fact that you are in the Nine Hells, and all of a sudden you see your beloved uncle that passed away or like one of your grandparents that died and you realize that well wait a minute is that who i'm fighting think about what that would do this is where i love the uh the sanity mechanic that's in the dungeon master's guide because that's horrible that would just drive people over the edge and it frightens people uh it frightens the enemies so that they they hit the regular frightened um uh condition but I would use that even in a role-playing where if you have the opportunity to monologue, they're consistently swapping between forms and showing your, your players loved ones that have fallen. If there was a beloved NPC that fell 10 sessions ago, this is the time to bring them back. That's nasty. So um, the next one is the Bone Devil. The Bone Devils are, are interesting. These things are large. They're large creatures, and they they look like just monsters. They, they've got dried skin stretched across their bones. They've got tail attacks. They they have wings. And they, they look less like the devils that we've seen so far, which have all been vaguely humanoid, except maybe the spine devil, um, which kind of looks like a pterodactyl person, maybe. But but the bone devil looks large and and... It looks almost like an aberration, but they're driven by hate, lust, and envy. Now that's weird. Hate, sure. Envy, everybody should be a little envious in the Nine Hells, all of the devils. Um, it says specifically the Bone Devils are taskmasters that you know begrudgingly kiss ass of their superiors. Um, they covet what their superiors have, and they want to become the next level up, which... Um, is an orthon we'll get to that in a second and so they're always always like groveling and trying to appease and placate uh, the the more powerful devils but then we get we turn around and we go back to the idea of lust these things are nasty monster creatures and i don't really see lust as being the the um the sin that they that they focus on it's weird that these guys got it, and we didn't just lump Succubus into this. We'll get to Succubus in another episode, but that's an odd thing to include here, um, especially in the Monster Manual. D&D doesn't really handle um, lust very well as a general rule, and this is a perfect example of it being strangely out of place. Uh, so the, anyway, the Bone Devil... Um, which are called, uh, their alternate, their alternative name is the Ocelot. Uh, they have a, these tail attacks, which are poisonous and are pretty deadly, but they also have a variant. And there are a few variants that exist in the devils where you, uh, get special weapons. It's usually a weapon. And this variant is a pole arm that grapples if you, if they hit with it. So this is a large creature with a pole arm that has reach. So, for those of you that don't know what a pole arm is, uh, we're generally speaking a large spear, like a long ten foot long spear. Um, that's some of you are yelling at the speakers right now, but I mean, for the uninitiated, that's essentially what it is. So, you use it in melee attacks, and you you hit people with it. You don't throw it. Um, pole arms are not meant to be thrown, but uh, but they do grapple, which is really interesting. And I would I would expect that a that a bone devil or an ocelot is consistently trying to uh, trip and grapple and capture. Um, and they are the highest level of the what's considered lesser devils. 
So everything up until this point, except for the Lemure, which is its own thing altogether, just the faceless, nameless horde of, of damned souls, everything up until this point is considered a lesser devil. Anything beyond this point is a greater devil. So the Bone Devil is really the top of, uh, of the lesser devil tier, and they, they make sure that everyone else below them are in line. They're not necessarily on the battlefields. Um, we're talking more uh, drill sergeants or, or staff sergeants, and I think that's uh, that's kind of the the direction that the creators wanted to go in with the Bone Devil. So let's move on to greater devils here. Um, I feel like I should be breaking for a commercial, but Terry and Dan aren't here, so I'm doing whatever I want. <laughs> Did you hear that? Am I okay? Okay, so um, let's talk about Orthons. Let's move over to uh, Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes again. Um, Orthons are large creatures, again, uh, a lot of the stuff that we're seeing now, we're moving into uh, to large creatures. Um, they they look like ogres with skulls for faces, and they have giant tusks as well. Um, it's really interesting. These are a unique uh, devil in the fact that they're like the rangers of the Nine Hells. They they act as bounty hunters that track their prey across the Nine Hells and into the mortal realms. Uh, when they're not tasked by their archdevil masters to find prey and to hunt down infiltrators and whatnot, they're looking for challenging sport to hone their skills and their craft of, of tracking and hunting, or they act as guides to the Nine Hells um, for, I'm assuming, you know, Yugoloth mercenaries or um, or visiting evil uh, like emissaries from other planes. So the Orthons are... They're, they're very they're very unique in the in the devil um, pantheon here well not pantheon but uh, but hierarchy in the fact that um, at CR10 they seem to be able to kind of straddle both the lesser and the greater and they can hit you anywhere from tier one up until tier four so we can have an orthon that uh, is sent out by an archdevil to actually go murder one of the party members. If you ever have a player who's like, I'm just tired of, of this character and I want to retire and you can kill him however you want, have an Orthon show up, murder the shit out of them, and then run. And then maybe the Orthon gets tasked with, with killing another one, another one of the party members later. And this can be an ongoing threat that pops in and out almost like a, like a special villain that has very little to do with the rest of the campaign, who's just a bounty hunter that these guys have to fight and he'll attack them maybe to a standstill and then he'll turn around and, and run away to fight another day because they've got a really neat mechanic about uh, what happens if they reach uh, near death. And I'll get to that in a second. But let's talk about their, their weapons. Their weapons are super unique. And here's the thing about devils with their weapons and their variants and whatnot. Remember, you got to expect that your players are going to try to get these weapons. When they see that the daggers, the Orthon daggers, do an incredible amount of poison damage, or they've got brass crossbows that have six different effects, they're going to want to come after them. They're going to want to disarm, they're going to want to murder, and then loot the body. And so I feel like um, the creators at Wizards of the Coast realized this and said, you know what? At CR10, this could really imbalance a party um, uh, if, you know, a party of gonna up-jump, upstart, uh, level 8 characters get their hands on this incredible crossbow. So, uh, we're going to give them a mechanic where they literally self-destruct and explode when they get down to only a handful of hit points left. And this will damage nearby creatures and enemies, and it will destroy the weapons that they carry. I feel like there needs to be more exploding monsters. I feel like there needs to be more um, flavor about uh, damaging weapons that they're holding. I think it would be really cool, if you're a sadistic kind of uh, dungeon master, to disarm one of the players, pick up their weapon, attack them with it, and then explode, destroying the weapon. That would piss off a player like you are. You can't believe. But anyway, so Orthons... Um, 
These are large bounty hunters. They're pretty smart and they're really good at tracking people and uh, and hunting them down. And they've got a nasty surprise. Just when you think you're about to win, boom, there goes the Orthon. If you were to get a pack of six of these guys, your, your group is in trouble. Um, next on the list is a Horned Devil. So we're back into the Monster Manual. Um, their alternative name is uh, the Malabranch or Malabranche. It's so difficult to be able to pronounce this stuff. There really needs to be some sort of pronunciation guide for Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but we'll, uh, you know what? Maybe I'll look into that. That yeah, sounds like another future special episode. So these are CR 11, um, horned, uh, I mean, it's right in the name. They're horned devils. They look like your traditional devil that you're thinking of. If you've seen the movie legend, right? Then you think about, um, it was Tim Curry with the giant, uh, horns coming off the top of his head. If you think a Hellboy when he's, when he's not, uh, knocking back his horns, think about this. This is what we're talking about. They're not red. They're brownish, and they seem to be like mottled, but they've got thick scales and uh, and large, huge wings, and they look like your stereotypical devil. My favorite thing about them is like these guys are the bugbears of freaking uh, the nine hells because they're lazy and they're belligerent, and they actually fear stronger creatures. They will just turn around and run if they think that they're outmatched. But if they are provoked. Their fury is immense, and they will come at you. These guys tend to move in groups. They're flying infantry for the legions of the Nine Hells, and they are formidable foes. They have a tail attack that does massive ongoing damage each round, um, and it will continue to do so until uh, you stop it with a medicine check. It also has this weird hurl flames um, mechanic like the Barb Devil. Neither of these things are particularly fire-based uh, creatures, but they have the ability to throw fireballs or, you know, kind of the diet fireball side of things. It's, it's a little bit strange for the mechanic. Um, but, but I like it. I like the fact that, that they're, uh, lazy and belligerent. And if you piss them off, like, I don't want to do it. And you're like, no, come on. And like, no, I don't want to do it. Uh, no, come on. And then they're just going to turn around and throw a fireball at you and be like, fuck off. <laughs> I don't know. I think these guys are a lot of fun. Um, but let's move on to the next one. It's CR 12. This is, um, this is one of the ones that I, I've heard people pronounce multitude of different ways. It's the, uh, Erinyes, Erinyes, Erinyes. Um, it's out of the monster manual, CR 12. What's really cool about these are that, um, we go from like the bone devil, which is this crazy monster. And then you, you work your way up to like being a horned devil. So you're a, a large creature that with giant wings and a tail. And, and then, then you turn into one of these creatures. These are beautiful, medium sized, armored, winged warriors. Legends say that they're fallen angels and they won't contradict this. They won't say otherwise. And they'll often use their angelic appearance to fool mortals, which is a lot of fun. They're all about corruption, and they specifically serve as Modius. As a matter of fact, they only exist on his level of the Nine Hells, and they serve him specifically. They are um, intensely loyal, and they're actually kind of a force to be reckoned with, especially with the fact that they love to fly. And all of their attacks are are um, seem to be coming down from the air, including um, their poison damage that they're doing consistently all the time. And as a neat thing, um, they can parry as a reaction. So if they're holding a melee weapon, they can raise their AC by four um, just by by using the weapon to uh, to stop an incoming attack. Uh, there's a variant for them as well, where they get the rope of uh, entanglement. This is actually a magical weapon that's listed in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Um, and I'm sure you can figure out what it does by the name, the rope of entanglement. So I feel like these are Asmodeus's personal 
um, guards that he would send out to do specific tasks, go find these people and bring them to me. That's, that's the variant, the rope of entanglement. I see them as being lieutenants as well in his forces specifically, as well as, um, heading to the mortal realm and posing as angels to those who don't know any better. If you've got a bunch of uh, players who stumble upon what they think is an angel and they don't know any better, they see something and they say, oh, you know what? I've seen the, the Deva in the monster manual, and this looks kind of like an armored version of that. They may thoroughly be fooled by this. Um, and then to find out that it's an even more powerful devil who is just corrupting the mayor or the local government or the sheriff or whoever it is. There's a lot of uh, role play opportunity with these guys. Next on the list at CR 13 is the Narzugon. This is another uh, Mordenkind's Tome of Foes, and these names aren't getting any easier to pronounce. The Narzugon. The Narzugon are um, evil paladins. Whereas we have Death Knights uh, over on the end undead side of things that are um, evil fallen paladins that have uh, been resurrected or that have made packs with un with the gods of death and undeath or maybe they're walking around the Shadowfell the Narzagon are evil fallen paladins that have made deals with devils and they ride nightmares that they can summon at will this seems to me like the kind of creature and, and the Arinyes as well, both of these are creatures that exist maybe outside of the hierarchy, if you wanted to flavor it that way. You can't become a Narzugan just by working your way up as a, a Lemure. You would have to actually meet the prerequisites of being an evil paladin that made a deal with the devil. Um, because they've got a couple of unique, fun things to them, like uh, they can sense good-aligned creatures, um, and... My favorite thing is anyone that's killed by its Hellfire Lance is immediately transported to the River Styx, where they are resurrected as Lemures within four hours. Which means if somebody dies, if one of your players falls on the battlefield, you have 1d4 hours to get some resurrection spell on them. Otherwise, they become just another fallen part of the masses. And if you think that the Lemures, who are evil creatures that deserve to be down here, get tortured... Think about what will happen to a good hero whose soul has been wiped. There's no memory left. And now every other devil gets the opportunity to torture and torment this poor thing. This is a fate worse than death. Only a wish spell can undo it. From a mechanical side, they, uh, they can inspire their allies to not be frightened. They can frighten their enemies. They can actually heal up to 100 hit points once a day. So these guys are, like, they're more than just knights. We're talking captains of, of, uh, of the fiendish diabolical armies. They come with a really cool item as well, which, I don't know, I, by the time it's CR 13, I would give this to a level 13. Um, it's called Infernal Tack, and they're essentially spurs that allow you to summon nightmares. So each one of these uh, Narzagon actually come with this standard so if you uh click the spurs together or drag them through blood they will summon their nightmare steed but there's a little bit of an asterisk to that you don't just get a nightmare steed you summon it and then you have to subdue it to your will and then it will come when summoned if it dies you just wait a prerequisite amount of time i think it's like the next day and you can summon them again so um, they become bound to the tack, and sometimes, uh, in rare cases, the nightmares themselves will actually become partners in crime with the Narzagon, and they will work together uh, to corrupt good and and to subjugate good uh, creatures, or I guess even demons as well. Um, these these Narzagon at at CR thirteen are kind of a force to be reckoned with, and I think they're a little underpowered by the CR system. I, I think that they're more powerful than they let on, and full of flavor. 
absolutely great to drop the lore to tell the story of the evil paladin that fell um, and then have to fight him six or seven levels later. As far as uh, as the next creature is concerned, he, this is another strange one for me because to go from from an Orthon, like the Hunter, to the Horned Devil, to then turn into an Ice Devil at CR 14, also known as a Gelugon, to get up to here, it's, it's strange. You're going through a hell of a transformation. And I assume, let me talk about this for a second. I'm assuming that every transformation that you go through is your body twisting and warping and, and destroying itself to become the next creature. Um, think about some of these, uh, werewolf movies that you've seen where the person like falls to their hands and knees and screams in pain as their bones get longer and their fingers get longer and their nails get sharper and their teeth grow and their eyes turn yellow. I imagine that when you get a promotion, you go through this and by CR 13, you've done this more than once. This is, this is something that you, this, this is a pain that you're familiar with. So, I mean, welcome to hell. Um, ice devils are weird kind of half humanoid, half insect creatures. They're like bipedal insects. And they live... See, there's there's cold regions in the Nine Hells as well. What's interesting is that even in Dante's Inferno, which, I mean, has very little impact on, on D&D, but um, Satan, Lucifer, you know, the, the big bad at the end, is actually stuck in a frozen lake at the very center of hell. Ice and cold seems to be... Um, linked and not a lot of people realize that it, it seems to be linked with the idea of devils. So having a nice devil makes a certain amount of sense, but then making an an insect is odd to me. Um, but I do like that these things are called uh, gelogons. That's their alternative name. They're desperate to become pit fiends, just desperate to be a pit fiend, um, and they covet the power of any more powerful devil out there um these guys are commanders of armies no we're not talking captains we're talking these guys will command the entire army until one of these pit fiends show up and takes control as like a general would um they get a, a wall of ice attack um which actually recharges which is kind of fun it's odd to think that these guys uh and like horned devils who are throwing like flaming mini fireballs at people are on the same battlefield, but you can imagine what, what they could do by creating these walls of ice in the middle of battle against, uh, opposing armies. They also have a variant, uh, weapon as well, which is an ice spear. The ice spear does a, um, it does a kind of, uh, conditional damage, which slows people's movement and uh, lets them only do certain actions during their turn. So it's kind of like a form of the slow spell. Uh, these these large creatures, they've got, they've got some reach, and they're able to slow people down. One of these things at CR 14, I feel, is actually a little bit light uh, for CR 14 until you give them the ice spear, and then they're, they're a hell of a lot more difficult uh, to deal with. Well, we're going to jump up from CR 14... All the way up to CR 18. Now, CR 16 is the Hellfire Engine. We're not talking about, so there is that. But up at CR 18, from Mordenkind's Tome of Foes, my personal favorite devil is the Amnizu. The Amnizu is a medium-sized creature. So we've gone from a large creature. I can I can just picture an ice devil exploding when it gets a promotion and an Amnizu stepping out of its corpse. These are arrogant, ruthless bullies that are genius strategists and they're loyal to their masters, and they're used to lead some armies. These guys are like um, Jafar uh, on on one hand, and then on the other hand, they are um, they're like Stannis Baratheon. They are used to guard the River Styx, and it's th it's they that bring in the arriving Lemures uh, into their like riverside fortresses and whatnot and teach them the new rules that they have to abide by in the nine hells they introduce them to their new torments and they lord over these fortresses um that sit on the banks of the river sticks in uh, in the first two levels of of the nine hells which are uh dis 
uh, D-I-S, Dis, and Stygia. Um, so that's where the River Styx goes through in the Nine Hells, and it, they're guarded all over the place by these CR-18 Amnizus. They are crazy powerful. They're spellcasters. They do necrotic damage with their attacks. They can poison the minds of their foes, which will actually make their enemies blind. They can do this with an attack. They can induce memory loss with a stun attack. If you stay stunned for an entire minute, you forget everything that's happened in the last five hours. That's crazy. And they can avoid attacks by just charming the person who's trying to attack them and get them to attack someone else instead. These guys are manipulators like you would not believe. I don't expect that they will ever like fight to the death um, or even fight in combat at all unless they've got their back to the wall. So um, I absolutely love the Amnizu. These guys are going to be the most conniving, I think, of all of them, of all of the devils that we've run into so far. And uh, I would consider these to be, if put in the hands of a DM who knows what he's doing, these things could run like a CR-21 or even a CR-23 level monster. Um, maybe if you don't give them the network and support of those around them, they may end up operating like a CR-16. There's a lot of flex to this, but there's also a lot of, um, a lot of uh, role-playing opportunities. And I could see an Amnazoo who's loyal to their masters. And when we, when I keep saying masters like this, I mean, not only the, the fiends that are above them on the hierarchy, but also the arch devils. So I can see one being loyal, but then also trying to plot the downfall of a different one of the arch devils and trying to replace them. And so that's, that's kind of what we're dealing with. This is where there's, I would, as much as you should never get into a contract with a devil, these guys, they're going to be all about the fine print. You're in trouble here. Um, and that takes us to the CR-20. This is the big papa. This guy, he is, he is my um, most feared creature in all of the lower realms. Um, this is the lord of other devils. The Pit Fiend. The Pit Fiends are as close as you can get to becoming an Arch Fiend without being an Arch Fiend. They are generals on the battlefields. They attend to the whim and will of the Arch Fiends, and the Arch Fiends uh, will know that, uh, that they can trust the Pit Fiends to follow through. They're given commands, and that they're, they're, like, they're like Alfred from Batman. On one hand, and then and then they're super freaking amazing melee battle devils. On the other hand, like it is amazing. These things, there's no downside to being a pit fiend. I don't think that they get tortured or tormented. I mean, I don't really think that ice devils or Amnazu do either, or even the Narzagon. By this point, they're not tormenting and torturing each other anymore. Um, a lot of the greater devils have got kind of a bigger purview. But, but pit fiends, look, they look like devils. They are the devil, short of the giant horns coming out of the forehead. These are the big red beasts with tails and wings and claws and teeth. And they are, they are arrogant, manipulative tyrants. This is lawful evil through and through. They are going to come in with their presence. First of all, they get a fear aura. We never get auras. This is a legit aura that we get. And not just any creature within 60 feet. Because we get that sometimes. This thing has a proper fear aura. They use that phrase in the monster manual. And my god, I freaking love it. They're innate spellcasters. And on top of that, they're masters of melee. And their bite does poison damage that stops people from being able to heal. These things are massive. Their stats are huge. And if you're looking for something besides a dragon or a god or a lich for your, for your huge intelligent and boss monster, go to a pit fiend. Especially if you decide that it can shape change. If you want to give it the ability to polymorph, man, this thing is going to be 
the thing that scares everyone at your table. I just, I so, I so desperately love pit fiends and they're fantastic. And that's why they sit at the top of this list at CR 20 is because these large creatures, they are the lords of all other diabolical fiends. So those are the fiends and that's the basic hierarchy that we're dealing with. Short of the hellfire engine, there you go. I'm going to go through them again. We'll see if everybody can remember. There's the, there's the Lemure, the Neparibo, Imp, the Spined Devil, the Bearded Devil, the Maragon, the Barbed Devil, the Chain Devil, the Bone Devil, the Orthon, the Horned Devil, the Erinyes, the Narzugon, the Ice Devil, the Amnazu, and the Pit Fiend. And for those of you that can count, you're thinking, Adam, you said 21, but that's only 16. And that is because we have the final thing, the Abishai. And this is its own crazy beast. Alright, so I'm going to read it right out of Mordenkainen's because I'm not going to do this justice. The first thing that you need to remember, however, is that Tiamat, yes, that Tiamat, resides in the nine hells she lives in the nine hells and she runs by her own rules she's not considered an archdevil and we'll get into that at a later time but she's got these emissaries of doom let me go through this really quickly and then uh, i'll give you a breakdown of all five of them each abishai was once a mortal who somehow won tiamat's favor before death and as a reward found its soul transformed into a hideous devil to serve at her pleasure in the Nine Hells. Tiamat deploys Abishai's as emissaries, sending them to represent her interests in the Hells and across the multiverse. Some have simple tasks, such as delivering a message to cultists or taking charge of worshippers to carry out a sensitive mission. Others have greater responsibilities, such as leading large groups, assassinating targets, and serving in armies. In all cases, Abishais are fanatically loyal to Tiamat, ready to lay down their lives if needed. But they're also considered outsiders in Hell. Abishais stand outside the normal hierarchy of the Nine Hells, having their own chain of command, and ultimately answering to Tiamat and Asmodeus uh, when the Dark Lord chooses to use them. Other archdevils can command Abishais to work for them, but most archdevils do so rarely since it's never clear whether an Abishai follows Tiamat's orders or Asmodeus's. Um, there is inherent risk in countermanding an order given by Tiamat, but interfering with Asmodeus's plans invites certain destruction. So not even other archdevils will tell these guys what to do. Think about that for a sec. These guys run... Um, kind of counter to everything else that we know about devils and the hierarchy so far. And what's really cool about them is you can tell by what color they are, um, what rank that they're going to have and how difficult, uh, what their CR is going to be, because it's kind of tied in to the power levels of the different colored dragons as well. The least powerful is the white Abishai. These are CR6. They're from Mordenkindus Tomophos. They all are. Um, but these are fearless, reckless warriors. They actually get like reckless attacks like barbarians do. Um, if they take damage, they have this really cool mechanic where they can bite an adjacent enemy and then move half of its speed without provoking any opportunity attacks. That's fun and powerful. You're going to mess up a CR or a level 6 party here pretty easily with, with one of these guys um, just because they're unpredictable and they're going to hit, which at Level 6 is kind of a question mark sometimes. Um, and they've got, I mean, they're pretty basic melee. They've got uh, flight because they all have wings. They all look like like demonic dragonborn. They're not dragonborn. They're not kobolds. They're not half dragons even. These guys are another semi-draconic race, but they're classified as fiends. Um, they're CR6. So if you are paying attention before, there was um, uh, the barbed devil at barbed devil at CR5, and then we jumped up to the chain devil at CR8, while at CR6 is the white Abishai, and then at CR7 is the black Abishai. These are the assassins and infiltrators. These are Tiamat's hitmen, essentially, 
and they can innately cast a darkness. They've got the ability to do it. Um, and then move it around. It's called Creeping Darkness. And they move it around the battlefield as a bonus action. But it's got a huge um, range on this that they can move this. And it recharges. So this is a moving darkness spell, essentially, that doesn't cost them spell slots. Just given enough time, they can do it again. And they have, of course, increased physical and physical stats and uh, and melee stats and whatnot as well. Numerically speaking, the higher up we go on the list, the more powerful the creature becomes. Uh, we jump up to the green Abishai next, which is CR 15. So that's a huge jump. But you'll understand why, because these are diplomats, spies, and master manipulators. These guys charm people, they dominate people, and they detect thoughts through magic. They are looking to gain influence all across the Nine Hells and the multiverse, uh, and they are out to do Tiamat's bidding and report back to her. You can imagine that one of these guys is going to be uh, set up pulling the strings of a king or an emperor or even some... Um, uh, God, can you imagine one of these things in, in the Feywild pulling the strings of an Archfiend or an Archfey? Like, there's just, there's a lot of opportunities with the Green Abishai. And as powerful as they are in melee, they will probably get out, save their own hide, so that they can wreak more havoc and gain more information at a later date. When we get to the Blue Abishai, the Blue Abishai are cunning and intelligent, and they seek out lore and magic. Now, there are a few other monsters that do this. The Arcanaloth is the same kind of thing on the Yugoloth side, um, but the Blue Abishai, um, which are uh, like they're just blue devil-looking people, are even more um, powerful than Arcanaloths, and and they're more intelligent. They're innate spellcasters. They field up to level seven spells. Um, and, and I think their level seven, uh, level seven spell is um, is uh, teleportation, I believe. I think they, they teleport out. So uh, they're there to learn and then to get out. They're not necessarily spies, but they're going to hoard magic. I picture these guys running a, a fiendish library almost. Um, think of the uh, think of the citadel from. Uh, Game of Thrones. So the Blue Abishai are interesting. Again, they can fight. I don't expect that they ever would, except to protect what they've already gleaned from their their fact-finding missions. Um, and then the last is CR-19, which is uh, from Mordenkainen's Tome of Foes. Again, the Red Abishai, no one is surprised here. They lead armies. They lead cults for Tiamat. They can even, and here's my favorite part about them, they can bend dragons to their will. They can charm dragons, and they are behind dragons. If you want to run a dragon campaign, or you want to take the Rise of Tiamat and uh, and uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen beyond the actual uh, module itself and get into giant tier 4 um, questing, your story can all come back to the idea of a red Abishai who's running these dragons, who's leading these cults. And you can flavor them to be, you know, the red dragonborn or the red half dragon that leads all this. And then it turns out to be an Abishai with a direct conduit to Tiamat, trying to bring her into the world again. They are absolutely phenomenal villains. They cause fear, they inspire allies, and they have a mechanic to, in battle, charm dragons and chromatic dragons actually get disadvantage on trying to save against this. The Abishai are underutilized and a load of fun, and I can't imagine running a giant dragon campaign without them. So... I have talked for a long time. I thought this was going to be relatively short, but it turned into a regular full-length episode and you got stuck with my voice. I apologize for nothing. And we have covered everything from CR0 all the way up to CR20. We've hit every CR that exists, um, except for the uh, 1 8th. 
one half and CR 16. We've hit all of the others. So you can use a devil wherever you want and you can have even a devil, um, that they fight, get promoted up and become a different, more, more difficult devil later on. Um, especially if your players are going to be doing like time hopping or anything. Can you imagine them making a deal with, uh, with, oh, let's say a, a spined devil and then the spined devil, um, uh, ends up double crossing them because of the fine print. And the next time that they go hunting this guy, uh, he's a bearded devil now. Um, and he's got a new mentality about him. And he's not uh, cowardly. He's he's now uh, all about glory. And that's going to catch your players off guard. And maybe your big bad levels with them through the levels of, uh, of what a devil is. There are so many great options with devils. And they're so radically different than demons. So stay tuned for tomorrow when we drop the demon episode. If you thought there were a lot of devils, wait till you get to the demonic hordes. There is so much out there, and it is so much fun. We're going to go from law straight into chaos. So, I'm going to figure out how to press pause on this. Um, and sneak out of Dan's basement before he wakes up. Thanks for being a part of this. And, uh, and uh, I'm going to go draw a mustache on Dan before I leave. Thank you.